Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into my April 2019 scavenger hunt review in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? What is this? It has been a long time since an episode like this, and uh, I'm excited for it. If you don't remember, um, because it's been quite a while, uh, first out, we're going to start with some superlatives. Uh, that that will encompass uh, that will encompass the the entire month of of April and the films the thirty films I saw um, from biggest surprise to most entertaining to most powerful to most forgettable film and, and some others in there as well. Then uh, we'll jump into just the top ten top ten movies based on my ratings uh, for the movies that I saw in April in this scavenger hunt. Uh, so. Let's not dilly-dally. Let's do this. Uh, first up, biggest surprise. So biggest surprise. Uh, for me, there were quite a, quite a few good films I saw. And a lot of them were ones I kind of expected to enjoy, kind of inspect, expected to like, or had heard that they were supposed to be good. Uh, and so it wasn't easy to kind of figure out a film that, that fit this category. But the biggest surprise for me from the April 2019 scavenger hunt was Buffalo 66. This is a movie, it is on Moran's top 300. And so for that reason, I, I went in and kind of and expected a high quality film. And I got that. So so in that sense, it makes, you know, it is. But on the other side, Vincent Gallo was just a huge, huge shock to me in Buffalo 66, uh, both as an actor and as a director. I, I don't really like him. I've never really sought out much of his films and many of his films. And this movie really showed that he has a lot of skill in front of and behind the camera. And it, it just kind of takes a specific style maybe or his own creative direction to get him there. And I think Buffalo 66 really proves that. Um, very effectively, and I, I, for that reason, I think it kind of elevates it above maybe some of the other films that you know ended up being a little bit better than I thought they would be uh, by really shocking me with uh, how impressed I was by Gallo's work on Buffalo '66, and uh, I think he's he's worth keeping my eye on and. and I've now, you know, gotten this curiosity for for the rest of his films, uh, both acting and directing. So, uh, Buffalo 66, biggest surprise. Next is the opposite of that, which is biggest disappointment. And this one was a lot... Well, this one was also difficult, but not because there weren't enough films to satisfy it, but more because there were too many. And I think... I finally settled on Romancing the Stone. I like Romancing the Stone. I thought it was a decent movie. It's not a bad movie. But it's one that I've just... I've had in the back of my mind for a long time. Uh, I, I, I've heard a lot of good things about it. I expect it to be a lot of fun. A big, enjoyable romp. Uh, you know, it's kind of a, a Jumanji. The, the Dwayne Johnson Jumanji movie. But you know, from decades ago, and uh, it's not that, it isn't, it's, it was really a lot, a lot less exciting than I expected, it, than I, I thought it would be, and hoped it would be, uh, you know, it, it, it felt like a, I, I wanted it to be high energy, I wanted it to be, you know, maybe not raucous, maybe that's not the right word, but like kind of like a rip-roaring good time, you know, that's the kind of quote I expected to attach to that movie, and it, I don't think it's that. I think it's a lot more subdued, a lot more down-to-earth, a lot more simplistic, a lot more straightforward and flat, and uh, 
for that reason, you know, I was kind of disappointed with it. Again, it's not the worst film by a stretch. It falls uh, right in the middle of the 30 films I saw for the month. So, you know, it's, it's a perfectly fine movie, but it was somewhat disappointing. It was somewhat disappointing. The biggest disappointment of the group and in that sense. So, Romancing the Stone was my biggest disappointment. Next is Worst Film. Lowest score out of the 30 movies I saw. Uh, and that one was no contest. It was Holidays. Holidays is a horror anthology film with each uh, sequence directed by somebody different and featured around a specific holiday and twisting that holiday uh, into more of a Halloween murder style situation. And, uh, you know, it's... I think in my review there was one sequence I was absolutely or at all invested in. I think it was New Year's? Question mark. I think it was the New Year's sequence. Uh, but most of them I was just so not invested, did not care. Uh, Kevin Smith's uh, segment was just awful. And none of it really appealed to me. And as someone who's not a horror guy and then taking, you know, just repetitive like, oh, it's this day of the year and except now we kill everybody. It just felt very repetitive, very uninteresting, very simplistic and thumbs down, big thumbs down, way, way bad, super bad. Worst film, Holidays. I gave it a 19, a 19. But let's move out of that. Let's do some of the better better things. We're out of, we're out of the, 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 the valley. Let's go up to the, the peaks of the mountains here with funniest film. So a lot of funny films. Um, Captain Blood, very funny. Uh, <clears throat> uh, you've got, let me see here, what else? Uh, Shazam is pretty funny. Romancing the Stone is, is somewhat funny. But the funniest film... And it's not a straight out, out and out comedy, but it's more of a dark comedy. Is Welcome to the Dollhouse for me? That that was the funniest film, uh, following a young girl who kind of feels trapped in her life uh, by everything around her. And you know, there's a scene where she, you know, not only thinks about, but you know, actually takes steps toward like killing her sibling, uh, her her sister. That is kind of disturbing and dark, but just the, the those scenes like that in Welcome to the Dollhouse are funny, they're enjoyable, they they are just kind of like, oh, oh, oh man, that kind of a reaction. And I was I was into that. I was super into it. I, I watched it at the perfect time. It really worked for me. And I had a lot of fun watching it. You know, it's 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 a really bizarre and twisted movie but i think if if you kind of respond to the sort of in bruges type of comedy or um trying to think of some other you know like the the doctor strange love and and things like that i i think this is gonna or ghost world ghost world is probably a really good analogy sort of like a dramedy there i think welcome to all houses would be right up those the alley of people who like those movies so for me funniest film i saw was welcome to the dollhouse most powerful film and i never quite know how to describe this category but i guess it's the the film that kind of left the biggest imprint uh not necessarily from a quality standpoint but from a content standpoint and just you know what i saw and how it related to the characters and to my own life and things like that and this one you know buffalo 66 which i mentioned earlier was definitely a candidate for this this category uh videodrome uh, also entered the the conversation but ultimately i decided on breaking the waves as the most powerful film it's very long but it follows uh a couple who the man goes off to work in an oil rig and he comes back injured and crippled and uh, disabled and 
as such, you know, it, it really affects uh, his relationship with uh, Emily Watson. It's still in Skarsgård, Emily Watson, and they just, they can't, you know, you have something huge affect your relationship and, and the lives of the two people involved in it, and you can't possibly expect things to stay the same. And they don't. And Breaking the Waves kind of chronicles the sort of fallout of this accident, how it affects these two people, uh, where they go from here, how they reconcile the the changes that are happening around them, and what it means for their lives going forward. And I think that it is long. I think it's a little long, ultimately. But I do think it does a great job of presenting this issue, uh, presenting this this sort of decision tree that they that both characters have to sort of navigate to try to arrive at a place where they can both be happy still and it's not easy and I, I thought that that was a really strong presentation of how this turns out and how, how this happens and, and what comes from a circumstance like this so for me most powerful film uh, belongs to breaking the waves. But what about most forgettable film? Uh, so if breaking the waves is kind of like you know the one that kind of imprinted itself a little bit more than everything else, what looking through this list, you know what what do I have absolutely no memory of after having watched it two and a half to three weeks ago? Uh, well, quite a few films on here that I didn't quite like, but most of the, looking down the list, most of them I can at least remember, okay, this is what it means, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. The one I can't do that for, really, is You Only Live Twice. This is a Bond movie. Uh, I gave You Only Live Twice a 34, so I didn't like it, it wasn't very good. I don't have any idea what happened in this movie. I think it starts out with Bond faking his death and everything after that just is like, I think, I guess there was a Bond girl and I guess there's a guy he tried to defeat slash kill and I think it involves Spectre, uh, maybe Blofeld, I could be wrong and uh, ultimately he triumphs because he's James Bond. Shrug. I don't know, That's that's kind of what I remember of it and it's like a two-hour movie, so there's a lot more, I assume, or there isn't, and it's super forgettable. So, yeah, you only I, I watched two James Bond movies this, this month, uh, You Only Live Twice and Dr. No. I thought Dr. No was far better than You Only Live Twice, and um, case in point, I don't really remember anything about You Only Live Twice, so uh, most forgettable film, very easy, You Only Live Twice. Next up is most entertaining film. So slight, slightly different than uh, funniest film, uh, but you know this one kind of incorporates the action side of things. So the film I was really invested in, the film I you know couldn't wait to see what happened next, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, that was pretty straightforward and came down to being Captain Blood. Captain Blood, uh, directed by Michael Curtis, starring. Uh, Errol Flynn is a swashbuckling adventure movie uh, with Flynn becoming a pirate at one point and you know just just it's a lot of fun it's a lot it's really enjoyable it has some great effects for its time some great shots some great moments and it, it just it's it's so entertaining it's so exciting it's so uh, enjoyable to, to just experience and, and go through. I think only knock I'd have against it is it's just a touch long. I think you could probably cut five to ten minutes out of it, but it's it's a really uh, a high momentum film. It really does carry you through from one thing to the next, and uh, I I bought into it. I, I was sold from the start. I think Errol Flynn is super charismatic, and Michael Curtis is is definitely a very very strong director and captain blood is a great collaboration between the two of them so most entertaining film for me of this month was captain blood and uh probably my highest recommendation of the whole list 
when it's all said and done. Just because I think, um, unlike some of the other films, which I also really enjoyed, I think this one is easiest to recommend to everybody. So that's kind of where I would start at. Best performance. So this can be lead, supporting, cameo, whatever. Uh, Best performance out of all 30 films. And this was tough. Uh, some some months that I've done this in the past, it was pretty easy, uh, but this one was not. I I struggled quite a bit for this one, and ultimately decided on uh, Christina Ritchie from Buffalo '66. Uh, she is in a supporting role in this movie, and I thought she just did an exquisite job, um, sort of affecting. You know, she she's tough to talk I don't want to like get super deep into Buffalo 66 talking about this but she embodies a character who is very much not supposed to be a real person you know she does a lot of things that you you know she's kind of a manic pixie dream girl and she slowly throughout the course of the film becomes more and more sort of uh, disconnected from being human, at least as far as the movie's presented, and in my opinion. And I think I would normally not like that, but Christina Ritchie is so sort of perfect for that style of character, and she keeps it, you know, present. She keeps the attention on uh, the world around us. She keeps, you know, this connection we have between her uh, the viewer and Vincent Gallo's character, uh, and she kind of just presents, you know, she makes the film a lot more <laughs> enjoyable to watch and pushes the, the, the narrative and, and elevates the themes and story at play uh, tenfold. I, I think... You could certainly have put somebody else in this role, and I think the film would have worked out just fine. But Richie definitely had the look, and I think also has the um, tendencies, the proclivities to to really sink into the skin of that character and uh, pull it off better than anyone else could have. So... I, you know, Gallo is great, Errol Flynn is great, you know, we'll talk about some, you know, Emily Watson, Stellan Skarsgård and Breaking the Waves, uh, you know, a lot of great performances throughout this, this month, but I could not, could not avoid Christina Ritchie in Buffalo 66 as the best performance. Best Direction. Uh, this one's harder, uh, because... <laughs> As I meant, I've, I've talked about Vincent Gallo's direction, and I think he does a really good job, but it did feel a little student filmy sometimes. And I don't think, not to say that it was inexperienced or, or amateurish, but unpolished. I think he had really great instincts, but but he ultimately, um, his the film has a, has an unpolished feel, and intentional or not. I think it works better if it is more polished in some of those areas. And so then I was deciding, you know, well, maybe it's Cronenberg with Videodrome. You know, I think he had a really singular uh, direction in that film and and he really does hit it pretty hard. Uh, Or, you know, Welcome to Dollhouse or The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, some of these other films that I, I really enjoyed. But... At the end of the day, I had to, had to, had to go to Captain Blood and Michael Curtis. It, it just, it, it just, everything in it, about it, you know, with this, again, with the slight, slight, slight caveat of, you know, five to ten minutes too long. Captain Blood, it's, it's, um, it's such an odd movie because Errol Flynn starts out as a doctor who gets arrested and then breaks out of jail to become a pirate. And the, that kind of plot, you, you just don't get that anymore, right? When you look at the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, there's never that big of a setup until we get to, you know, what's really going to happen. You know, when, when we get Will in prison, 
uh, which is about as analogous as you can find. You know, he's he's not a doctor though; he's a blacksmith. He's someone who's worked with swords. He's proven that he's capable of being a swashbuckler. He's helped buy it a, a notorious pirate. Uh, you know, there's there's all that surrounding them. In this, he just decides to be a pirate, and I think that's there's an innocence there. There's there's a a delicate sort of almost just just childlike idea about movies like this that were made you know 90 years ago 80 years ago and Errol Flynn is perfect with that boyish charm and you know that great charisma and Michael Curtis directs this film in a way that hammers home the sort of he he just he finds such a great balance between how the film is supposed to just be fun but also it's 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 a it's a serious movie it's got real stakes it's got real messages and themes and and a focal point and and characters that matter and whose lives are theoretically and periodically in danger and i i think he just knows how to how to walk that line so well and it's it's a testament to to his his direction and his his abilities as a director. So that's Michael Curtis for Captain Blood. And finally, the last superlative before we get to the actual top ten is best scene. And as soon as I saw this particular scene. I knew it was going to be the num- the num- the best one. I knew I wouldn't find anything better. And it comes from Buffalo 66. A lot of things from Buffalo 66 and Captain Blood uh, here. But it's true. You know, if you watch the movie, this is a scene that when you first... When it first starts, it almost doesn't fit the rest of the movie. But like I alluded to before with Christina Ricci kind of being this sort of ethereal character who doesn't really exist in the world this is the scene that just blows that theory you know wide open blows that interpretation wide open because how can she possibly exist in the world when when this happens and what this is is they're at a bowling alley uh, Vincent Gallo's Vincent Gallo's character is a good bowler very good bowler and uh, having just gotten out of prison and meeting up with his parents and talking to them and he needs. He wants to relax. He wants to unwind. He goes to the bowling alley. He takes Christina Ritchie with him, and he's bowling and he's you know he's striking it out and strike strike strike. And then we just eventually we just pan across as Christina Ritchie stands up and walks across, and like the music plays behind her. We're not you know Vincent Gallo is not even in the frame, and she just starts tap dancing. And it's not, you know, this big extravagant thing. It's this very small, kind of a private moment that she has. And it just, it feels so disconnected. It is such a joyous, uh, sort of melancholy moment that, that really focuses on Richie's character, which we haven't gotten a chance to do really that much in the movie at this point. And... It comes out of left field. It is so bizarre. And you, you know, I think the first interpretation, you're looking at it, you're watching it, and you're thinking, where is this coming from? What does this mean? What is the point of this? Why is this in this movie? It's so different. It's so jarring. And I think all of those things is are, are why it's such a good moment, why it works so well, because it is jarring. It, it, it takes you out of the narrative, but not the movie. For me, for me. And it really recontextualizes who Christina Ritchie's character is, how she relates to Vincent Gallo, what they're doing, where they're going, where they've been. And I, this is this flourish is perhaps you know my favorite from Gallo in, in giving this moment to Christina Ritchie. And you know she is great in it. And I think it, it just sort of defines the film in a sense. And I I love this scene so much, so much. Uh, so that's the bowling alley dance from Buffalo '66, which is my best scene from the April 2019 scavenger hunt. Uh, 
and those are the superlatives. Those are all the superlatives. Uh, so we're gonna have a short interlude, and then we'll jump into the top ten. Number 10. Number 10. And this is a movie I hadn't ever heard of it. It stars Sean Connery. And it's called The Hill. Now, The Hill takes place in a... Uh, let me make sure I have the right term. It's a sort of a prison camp for... I don't think it's nece- uh, deserters is necessarily the right word. Let me make sure here. Um, British soldiers uh, during World War II in North Africa, and uh, they are being held in a place in this this camp, this prison camp, and essentially they're just being tortured. That's that's kind of. The, the crux of it uh, and one of the primary tortures is this man-made hill uh, it's about a it's a huge tower of sand that is or looks to be incredibly incredibly difficult to climb as well as uh, constant beratement badgering from the officials the the military officers that are running this camp and that's kind of where the interesting conceit of the film begins which is Sean Connery as Joe Roberts enters the enters the camp and all of a sudden and maybe it's been you know it's it's I mean it's sure it's been brewing for a while now but the people in charge kind of having their own power struggle right and Connery, as well as some of his, his fellow prisoners, uh, are slowly kind of drawn into this, this power struggle. And, and they have to at, at the, simultaneously survive and not die from these constant tortures and, and such. But at the same time, they're also looking for a way in to getting out of this situation and it seems to be that the best way to do that is to sim- is at once you know pit these guys against each other but also uh you know push and kind of maneuver them around the camp in a way that puts them into uh the the hot seat as it were and you know one of the one of the sort of hallmarks of this film is that it shows how just because one side of this camp is prisoners and one side is is officers doesn't mean that the officers are happy to be there doesn't mean that they aren't stuck uh, uh, you know they're not also doing time there's a great quote in this movie from Connery where he says we're all doing time even the screws and it is a uh, it's a great film, it's a great looking film, it's, it's shot in black and white, it is, uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty slow movie, uh, I'll be honest, it's a little over two hours, uh, which doesn't help, uh, I ended up giving this a 67, so it's not great, great, but I really enjoyed it, I think it's strong performance, strong acting, it's directed by Sidney Lumet, who is a fantastic director, one of my favorites. Now, this is not my, you know, one of his best pieces, but it is definitely very capable, definitely has a lot to say, and uh, perhaps my favorite element is Ozzie Davis. He gives an incredible performance. He was somebody I, I almost considered, or for, for a time did consider, uh, doing, uh, you know, one of the, he he was in in the front in the not front runner but he was uh, in the conversation for best performance uh, of this scavenger hunt and you know I I really loved his he sort of takes over the climactic moments of this film 
in a very powerful way, in a, in a very uh, impressive way. And so The Hill, that's my number 10. I recommend it. It definitely shows you a different side of Sean Connery if you're mostly used to him as James Bond. And I was very pleased and happy to see that. So number 10, The Hill. Number nine uh, is a movie that I've been looking forward to for quite a while. It didn't quite live up to the the hype I'd sort of uh, placed on it, but ultimately I did did enjoy it quite a bit, and that's Kwaidan. Kwaidan, directed by Masaki Kobayashi, is a Japanese film. Uh, Kobayashi, who directed one of my favorites of all time, is Harakiri. He also directed the Human Condition trilogy. Kwaidan is uh, four, uh, sort of an anthology, four separate stories, each dealing with ghosts. Uh, Kwaidan is taken from the Japanese word for ghost story. And each one is a little different, a little little more uh, twisted than the last. I won't go into each each one individually. I will say uh, perhaps the most recognizable one, the most famous one, and the one that you can see on the poster for the film uh, is uh, you see this man whose face has tons of, of kanji uh, written all over him. And he is being visited by a ghost. He is a blind musician. And he performs for an audience of ghosts and eventually he decides I don't want this anymore I want to perform for people I I can't keep uh, being coerced and forced into this and so some monks you know put the kanji all over his body they they ward him uh, against these ghosts and the ghost shows up and he's sitting out there on the deck of this home and he's invisible the ghost can't see him except and you'll notice in the poster part of him is not covered in kanji and that part is visible to the ghost and things get a little uh a little dark from there and from that point on the performances throughout quiet are very very strong uh the the, the, the all of the stories I think have their faults and have their strengths and uh, you can check out my review for a little more in-depth detail about each individual story I'll just say I, I really liked it I gave quite on a 70 I think it's it's a very strong film it's a good kind of ghost slash horror movie it's the kind of horror movie I really uh, respond to and I think um uh, horror loosely used as horror more of a thriller kind of a thing uh, but Kwaidan shows just how talented Masaki Kobayashi is, and man, I, I, I really, I really dug it. I really dug it. Uh, so that leads me to number eight, which is another Japanese film. <laughs> uh, this one, uh, is from nineteen sixty-eight, directed by Kanate, Kanato Shindo, uh, and this one is called Kuraneko. It's fairly short, uh, a little over an hour and a half long, and it follows two women, uh, a woman and her daughter, who are in the first like five minutes of the movie raped and murdered by soldiers during a time of civil war. Then they return uh, as ghosts, cat-like ghosts, to lure samurai in the area uh, and, and ultimately kill them. Uh, eventually, the, the the governor of the area uh, needs to get rid of them and figure out a way to stop them from killing all of his men. And he hires a fierce young hero. And he, uh, he engages in, in trying to defeat them, trying to either kill them somehow uh, or, or dispel their spirits and, and to calm their... Um, sort of sort of restless energy and and purify them and it is it is a very 
bizarre movie. Uh, it is a very... It goes places. It, it, it really takes a lot of interesting turns. It is not... Like, this is the kind of movie I shudder to think of what the American remake would look like. It would be jump scares and, you know, grotesque imagery, and none of that is needed. This is a drama, this is a human story, and I think it is told in a perfect way by Shindo. Uh, beautiful performances uh, by both the spirits and, uh, let me make sure, I think it's... Kichimon Nakamura, who plays Gintoki. Uh, I I was into it. I was really into it. This is far more of a horror film than Kwaidan is. And it's also just a heartbreaking film. Uh, you know, a lot of great imagery. And yet it's, it's a family tragedy. And I think the illusions there, the, the illusory scenes in the film are, are really striking. You know, it's a, from 1968. That's... 50 years ago, and it looks splendid. Um, yeah, I'm I, I, big fan of Kuren Echo. I would recommend this one. Uh, I gave it a 71, so Kuren Echo and Quiet On, I think both very good films, and worth a check, worth a look, worth a look. And keeping up with, uh, with the... Um, foreign language trend we have a more recent film from 2005 at number seven and that is strange circus strange circus pulled off number seven here this is sion sono who is a director i really like and strange circus is uh, it's not going to be for everybody this is a it's a tough one tough film uh follows an erotic novelist who's writing a morbid story that we see. So we see the story she's writing playing out. And the actor who plays the novelist, she is also playing characters in the story. And so the line between character and real person is blurred. And we go back and forth between the two. And we're not sure what's real and what isn't. We're not sure who... Uh, who who who's telling the truth if there is a truth what it all means it's it's very confusing but it's also very disturbing you know there's murder abuse incest uh and then you get outside into theoretically the real world and there's intrigue there's lying deceit it it goes on and on and on and, on. and i think it it really sets itself up to be this horrifying uh, psychosexual thriller it succeeds at that and deserves to be uh, uh, kind of elevated to to I guess a, the sort of gone girl type status although it's it's far more perverse and sexual than than gone girl is and I think you know, I, I've seen a ton... One of the things, I and I say this, I think, in my review on Letterboxd, is I've seen a lot of movies. I've seen movies from a lot of places, but pre predominantly from, from the United States and, and I guess also from the UK. But a lot of times, I've seen movies that have been edited for time, for content... Uh, or movies that I know have been edited for time and content when they're released in other countries or released on TV and so on. And a lot of those movies edited for violence, sex, language, nudity. I have not once, not once, seen an American film that I think holds a candle to some of the most disturbing and bizarre foreign films that I've seen, particularly from Eastern Asia in, in the China, Japan, Korea area. Strange Circus uh, is certainly one of those movies. Uh, you know, things like Old Boy and The Handmaiden and, and um, Love Exposure. There's so many. Uh, Mother is another one 
not Mother from Aronofsky, but a Mother Korean film named Mother. Or no, not Mother, uh, Mobius. Mobius, I'm sorry. Mobius, a Korean film, Mobius. It is, it is just shocking to me how seemingly, you know, we in America want to censor everything under the sun. And then you see some of these movies from 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 outside of the country and and they are just they don't give a shit about that kind of stuff and it's kind of scary i'll be honest at times but it's also very rewarding and and very refreshing to get those types of movies and strange circus is one of those movies and i think um it is not for the faint of heart so uh, it's not something i'm gonna say you know go check it out but if if that's the kind of movie you're into, if you want to see something a little different, Strange Circus is definitely, definitely a little something different. So my number seven, Strange Circus, I gave it a 73. So we're slowly ticking our way up here. Slowly. Number six. Number six is a film called The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. Uh, I didn't have any real expectations of this movie, except that it is one of the top 100 movies on Letterboxd. It's currently ranked number 98, so that's uh, I respect this community. So that's a that's a big, big statement. The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp is from 1943. It stars Roger Livesey, Deborah Kerr, uh, Roland Culver, Adolph Woolbrook, uh, among others, and first and foremost. I am not a fan of Roger Livesey. He is the main character. He is throughout this entire nearly three-hour-long film, and he does not rub me the right way. He is very, I don't know, stiff as a performer. I thought I don't like his voice. I'm just not a fan. And he's pretty much the only thing I don't like about this movie. Uh, Despite the fact of how long it is, I think it is a pretty fascinating biography uh, biopic and it it encompasses a long period of time livesey you know goes through a lot of different makeup as he as he ages but what i found very fascinating is how deborah kerr plays multiple roles in this movie she does not undergo makeup transformation she stays the same age and plays multiple characters throughout the timeline of uh Sir Colonel Blimp, or Major General Clive Wynn Candy, uh, as his actual name is. Uh, and and I just, I think that the film, it kind of has this sort of Hamilton feel to it, where, you know, we just kind of go through this guy's life and all the significant events he had, and how he watches the world around him change as we go from one war to the next, and uh, he keeps his... Uh, he just he, he finds himself at some time some points you know as the smartest man in the room and at other points he loses sense of what is really going on as he kind of ages out of this total understanding of the world around him he develops a very close relationship with Adolf Wolfbrook's character uh, Theo Kreschmar Skuldorf uh, who was a German and you know, it's going to be a very, or it is a very, you know, intimate relationship, and, and probably the sort of beating heart of the film, and I, I think it's, there's a lot, a lot, a lot to, to pull out of this, it's well worth the watch, it is very long, and that is gonna, you know, work against a lot of people, but I think there's a lot here to enjoy, especially if you enjoy Roger Livesey, which I didn't. So I really like this movie, and I didn't like the main character at all, uh, or at least main performer at all. So if you respond to him, I think this is going to be a, a top movie all time for, for anyone who watches it. So for me, ultimately, number six is The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, which I gave a 74. 74 brings us to number five the top half of the top 10 is welcome to the dollhouse welcome to the dollhouse from 1995 directed by todd salons starring heather Matarazzo, angela 
Pietro Pinto, Victoria Davis, Christina Brucato, and others. And others. Matarazzo plays the lead character. She is uh, described by the synopsis as an unattractive seventh grader. Her name is Dawn Wiener, because of course, last name Wiener. Uh, I talked about Welcome to the Dollhouse a little bit already. Uh, This was the first good movie I saw, The Scavenger Hunt. Uh, I saw it on the first day, but it was the fourth movie, first one I really liked. And Dawn is an incredibly tragic character. And she is someone who, you know, unfortunately has has not been in the best situation, uh, whether that's with her friends or family and or the people around her. But at the same time, uh, she is very sympathetic. You know, you, you can't help but want her to succeed. You, you kind of feel indignant when she's feeling indignant. You feel like she's been wronged, even if she hasn't necessarily been wronged, just because she feels she's been wronged. And I think there's a lot to like about her and about her character and about her role in this movie and how she interacts with the rest of her family and even when it's not the most respectful, even when she's kind of stuck up, even when she's kind of, you know, not a, a nice person, let's say, I still felt this strong connection to her. And I think that's partly due to Matarazzo's performance. I think that's also due to Todd Salon's uh, direction and the writing of the film. And uh, it's it's really funny. It, it, like I said, I think it's it's a great dark comedy. And... It goes places. Uh, it really goes places, because you know she, there, there's there's a lot of bad choices made, uh, both by Dawn and by other characters in the film. Uh, so I recommend this one. I think it's something that most people can get some get get out get something out of this. If you're not a big fan of uh, of dark comedies, you're not probably going to find much to enjoy about this because that's. That's a lot of what's going on. You might be able to hear purring in the background for the next few minutes or so uh, from a kitty. Kitty. So that's number five, Welcome to the Dollhouse. With a 76. Give it a 76. Number four is a movie that from, is from David Cronenberg and it's Videodrome with a 77. Cronenberg, ah, oh man, I just, I, I want to understand him, and I really don't. And so when I enjoy one of his movies, sometimes it's kind of in spite of the movie, despite what the movie's doing. And I think Videodrome falls under that category because it's it's a wacky movie, and and... Uh, I think I think you gotta worry about how sort of every decision he makes in Videodrome and 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 the sort of narrative that he's putting forth. It's not always crystal clear what he's getting at. It's not always crystal clear uh, what the point is. And you know, I'm sure there are plenty of people who think they know it front to back, back of their hand, that sort of thing. And maybe they do. Maybe they do. I am not one of those one of those people. I think Videodrome is a very competently made movie. I think of outside of the fly, I think it's one of Cronenberg's most um, precise films that he's made. And James Woods is great in the lead performance. Uh, the, the final sequence, the final like five minutes or so are very powerful and honestly are what elevated it to the point that it is. I think otherwise it's probably a score in the sixties. That final scene really did a number on me and, um, is, is, I think is more impactful than pretty much everything else that happens before it. It's still a pertinent film uh, for some of its themes today regarding TV and why we watch it and screens and things like that. And Videodrome. 
I think it's uh, it's really good. I, th- I think as far as like an actual Cronenberg film, as far as one that, you know, he really, you know, he, he kind of crafted this one himself. I think The Fly being a, a remake, uh, I think Videodrome is, is the best film I've seen of his that is purely his uh, in all senses. So my number four with 77 is Videodrome. brings us to number three um you might know what the last three are but uh they are all rated above an 80 breaking the waves is my number three with an 82 Uh, i talked about this a little bit already but stellan skarsgård emily watson i i think this story of of sort of growing to accept uh, the person you're with, that's one side of it. And I think it's a great side of it. I think uh, the presentation of that narrative and the presentation of those those themes are is, is really strong and really competent. But the other element is Emily Watson, definitely the main character of the movie, uh, is is also constantly in, in conversation with God throughout this film. And, you know, she has this relationship with him that also sort of permeates through the rest of the movie. And there's a lot going on about that relationship that is kind of being commented on and being sort of implied that it has more power than you think. And, you know, the the sort of underlying theme here is that this this the town that they live in is very backwater very you know sort of set in their ways traditional and the relationship between watson and skarsgård is not exactly approved by everyone and so you know there's a lot of emily watson feels like she needs to make it matter that they're together needs to make sure that it's okay needs to make sure that it's right and that God approves and that she gets his blessing and and so on and so forth and it adds an it adds an interesting wrinkle and I think it justifies sort of the length of the film to have that entire secondary structure in place of okay it's yes it's about Skarsgård and Watson and their relationship with each other but it's also about her relationship with God and what that so how that permeates through the rest of her life with her family, with her relationships, and how she reconciles a lot of the choices she makes because of it. And uh, I think it's a very, very dour and and dreary film. So it's probably not for everybody, but it worked uh, largely for me. And that's Breaking the Waves with an 82 and number three in April's Scavenger Hunt. Number two, the runner-up. The runner-up. We talked about it a lot. It won three superlatives. Has an 83. I gave it an 83. And that is Buffalo 66. Like I said, Christina Ritchie is great. The bowling dance scene is great. It did surprise me with Gallo and his direction. Uh, I recommend it. I think... It's, it's definitely an out there, bizarre kind of movie. But if you let yourself be won over by it, you will be rewarded. It will um, uh, work for you. And I think that that is worth experiencing. So I don't have too much more to say about Buffalo 66. I really loved it. I think there's a lot of great stuff in it. Uh, from, you know, it, it happens to have like an insane cast, uh, Angelica Houston and um, uh, Gallo and Richie. You've got Kevin Corrigan in it. Uh, Mickey Rourke is in it for a scene. It's kind of shocking. You know, all, you get all these sort of side characters who have one or two scenes and they're these big names and they weren't huge, huge names at the time. Maybe not all of them, but now like 
Mickey Rourke, that's a big name. Kevin Corrigan, in my opinion, is a pretty established name and so on and so forth. So Buffalo 66, check it out uh, if you've never really looked into Vincent Gallo's work. I think if you like Christina Ricci, this is a good one. Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of an indie art house movie, but I like it. I like it quite a bit. So I gave Buffalo 66 and 83. And that is where we stand with number two, which leaves number one. Best movie I saw in the April 2019 scavenger hunt that I ran. Uh, and I, if any of the people who also participated are listening to this uh, and made it through this whole thing, uh, thank you so much for participating. I am super appreciative. I'm glad you, you had fun or saw some movies that you liked or, you know, had been putting off for a while. And uh, so my number one of this scavenger hunt was Captain Blood. I gave it an 85 out of 100. Um, so not a top, 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 top movie for me ever, but definitely a great movie. One I will likely go visit again because I think it is just a lot of fun, a lot of enjoy, a lot of enjoyable moments. Uh, everything about Errol Flynn is just so striking and so charismatic. And I think he you know he he was like the 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 Dwayne Johnson of his his era almost you know he could just just he he brought so much to the roles he had to the movies he was in and this is one of the first ones this is kind of his big breakout role and he earned it i i think he absolutely earned his place in history his place in um film this film legacy in that sense and you know i keep i i always want to watch more from errol flynn and uh i guess the only thing that really stops me is just wanting to kind of take my time and stretch out uh stretch out you know my my experience seeing him so that is the one, like I said, the highest recommendation of this month because I think a lot of people will enjoy it and I think it is it has something for everybody. And that's Captain Blood. I gave it an 85. It's my number one from April 2019 Scavenger Hunt. April Association, run by me. Uh, check it out if you haven't already. We're not out of April yet. And you know, even if you want to check out try to do that scavenger hunt like months from now i'll add you to the list i'll add you to the list do it do it again i don't know i think it's a really fun way to approach uh trying to fill out some movies and discover some that you're not aware of and i had a lot of fun with it i had a lot of fun so that's it that's it for today's episode thank you for listening uh it really does mean a lot. If you would like to find more episodes, you can head over to circlefilm.com. All the episodes are on the website or, you know, most places podcasts can be found, iTunes and the like. If you want to support the show, uh, like, review, subscribe, rate, uh, whatever it is you can do on your podcast device and method of your choice always is helpful. You can also support the show for as little as eight cents an episode on patreon.com slash circle of film, which is also always appreciated appreciated if you like to follow me twitter at circle of film letterboxd circle of film or shoot me an email circle of film at gmail.com about anything and everything if you have a top 100 movie list i or more could be even bigger i would love to see it love to check it out and and see if uh there are films on there that i haven't seen because i think those are interesting to to, to experience and finally, as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same night. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fails.